What happens when you finally decide that what you've been doing for most of your life just isn't working out for you anymore? What do you do? Do you quit? What if you don't have a plan? What would your family think? What would people say? Hmm, that's the worst. What kind of toll would this take on your mental health? Or even your physical health? My name is Hethel Bauman, and this is my story of how I'm reinventing myself after experiencing burnout, depression, and living a life that was simply not true to myself. If you're on a pursuit to find what lights you up, however difficult it might seem, I hope you know I'm here with you. Welcome to the first episode of a new chapter. This is the Global Health Pursuit. Hi everyone. Welcome. Welcome to the very first episode of the relaunch of the Global Health Pursuit podcast. And I say relaunch because I launched it for the first time in 2020. Lots of things have happened since then. And if you're new here, if you've never heard my podcast ever before, I want to say welcome. I appreciate it so much that you're here. I thought that it would be really special to start this relaunch with an episode that is almost dedicated to why I decided to relaunch. It's a funny story because I had worked with a career coach. I'm still currently working with a career coach. And when we decided that I would relaunch the podcast, she had said, I think you should be the first episode and tell your story. And I was thinking about how the best way would be to bring about this story. And I remember, I think I was probably in the shower. Like, (laughs) I think I was probably in the shower. That's where all my amazing ideas come from. And I was like, I think one of my best friends should interview me because I've always enjoyed listening to podcasts where two friends just kind of chit chat. And I thought it would be more exciting for you guys to hear another perspective from somebody who has been in my life for how many years has it been? Like five years? Six years. Six years. Yeah. And so I decided to bring on one of my very best friends, Catherine Santis, call her Kat. And she's been with me throughout this whole journey that I've been on. And I think it would be the most perfect way to kick off this podcast. And we have a lot to talk about. So I want to just introduce Kat. She is just a beautiful person. We met during my time at Johnson & Johnson. We were both in the same leadership program. And I remember when she came over to do her rotation in Indiana, where I was, I invited her to dinner and we kind of just hit it off that first (laughs) night. Uh, And we just talked and we became like the best of friends. And I have to say, like, she's one of my ride or dies. <laughs> Honestly, such a smart engineer, just such a beautiful person. And I think that's why she's just the perfect person to get on the podcast and help me tell my story. And so I'm just so excited to have her here. So Kat, welcome to the Global Health Pursuit podcast. I'm so stoked for you to be here. How are you feeling? I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm honored. I'm very honored. As you said, I have been on this journey with you and it's been full of ups and downs and ultimately it led you to this beautiful moment in your life. And so I'm so excited for you to share this side. And I I think people have gotten small peeks into it, Mm -hmm. but haven't seen like the full journey. So I'm just so excited for you. Here we go. Here we go. (laughs) This will be a little different. You haven't been on the hot seat. So Not very often. Nope. Yep. So we'll see how this goes. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be great. I know we're going to like just crack up laughing like every five minutes. Yes, for sure. For sure. So I want to get this started with when did you feel like engineering was not the path for you anymore? And kind of twofold here, how difficult was it for you to make that choice to leave? I think that's a big one because I have a South Asian family. A lot of times, you know, we kind of fit into the stereotype that if you're Indian, you're probably a doctor, lawyer, engineer. And so going into college, I was saying to myself, okay, well, I feel like I'm probably not going to go to medical school, but let's have a backup. So then I chose engineering and it was the hardest thing. College was so difficult. 
that I had to push through because I didn't feel like I had any other options. I didn't feel like I had any opportunity to look elsewhere because I had so many people in my family that were just pushing me into this medical field, into this healthcare field. And so I did biomedical engineering and I did these internships and all of these things that I got rave reviews. Everybody was like, wow, you're such a great engineer. And I was like, oh, okay. You hear these things where it's like, you could be really, really great at something, but not completely fulfilled. And that's kind of where I was at. And I didn't really realize that until years and years later after I graduated college, I got my first job. I was like, oh, thank goodness. It was the one company that hired me. I was like, oh, thank gosh, I don't have to go home. I almost felt like I would have left my parents down if I went home without a job. So I was like, yes, great. Knowing me, I was like, I kind of got bored after a year and a half. It's like, hmm, I don't know. Like, what's, what is there? What is there to do? And the next obvious step was just to get my master's degree. So I got my master's degree. And then after that, when you're in a biomedical engineering career, the cream of the crop, is Johnson and Johnson. I set that as my goal. And sometimes in my head, I was always like, oh, it would just be a miracle to get into J&J. I'd be like set for life, everything would be great. And that's what happened. You know, I, I ended up getting into this leadership program, which was even better. In my class, it was only seven engineers that got into this program. So everybody was like, you're the cream of the crop, like everything's great. You're the best of the best engineers. And I was like, okay, my life is set. Now I all I have to do is climb the ladder. Mm. It was just so interesting because that whole time that I was there, I always felt like an outsider. I always felt like there was something different about me that I couldn't put it into words for a really long time. I was like, I just, I don't feel right. I don't feel like I belong. Yes, I'm good at what I do. Like I said, I was always had great reviews and everything, but there was always something weird and off. For sure. And I think for those of you who Hedel hasn't shared this side of, of her story, a lot of the times during these sessions or you know what we called residencies that we would have, I always noticed in her this tendency to be on her own, doing her own thing. It's almost like these activities took so much out of her. And she wasn't the only person who felt that way, myself included. I think this program was I mean, yes, great. And it had fantastic opportunities, but it was very much geared towards you're going to be the next VP, right. potentially C-suite engineer, whatever. And so there was all of this pressure to perform. And for folks that are like Hedel and I, that can be very exhausting because you feel it's all performative. You know, you, you show up and you just have to put on this business professional. I don't know. And if if that's your thing, like that's great. Like if if you if you love the corporate environment and all of that, I felt like I I learned so much from all of these leaders and you know, I learned about leadership styles, I learned more about myself, which was great. Like I loved these sessions that we had, but then it was almost like after the session you had to continue. Yes. You had to continue putting on this persona to impress everybody. And I just kept remembering these times where everybody was like Hethel, you know, like, let's, we're going to go have dinner here, or we're going to go and hang out here. And I'm like, I'm just so tired. I'm going to go get ramen by myself. And then I'm going to go and crash like that. <laughs> I'm done. I am done. And so I mean, those were just so small snippets of times where I would just be like, No, I can't. I'm not in with this crowd. Yeah, it was foreshadowing. I think what was to come. Honestly, it just wasn't the right environment. I think for you, honestly, at that at that time. I think for a lot of people too, like again, it was great. The opportunities, I enjoyed them too, but I think you hit the nail on the head. The continuation of being on can be really taxing emotionally and you're just so drained. And I think when you value authenticity yes. and you're not true to yourself, sometimes it, it just becomes very draining because at the end of the day, you're like, why am I so tired? Why am I so, so tired? And so because of all of this, I started to realize this in myself and I was like, okay, well, where can I find belonging within J&J? And so what I would do is I'd be looking for other jobs. I remember job hopping multiple times until I moved. Actually, this was a funny story. I was so over it at my job at that one time that I was working in orthopedics. So 
I was so over it. And this has nothing to do with like my managers or my my work or any of that stuff. Like everybody was just so great. But internally, I was I was just kind of dying inside. And so I finally was like, let me try a different sector within J&J. Let me try a different, even like a completely different role. I applied to be a clinical sales rep within our cardiovascular division, which was like, you're getting out of the cube, you're working in hospitals. I was like, I'm a people person, this is going to be great. And (laughs) little did I know, I applied. The next day, the hiring manager calls me and basically offers me the job. And I remember running downstairs to my boyfriend at the time and telling him that I accepted a new job. And he was like, what the heck is going on? And I was like, yeah, this is going to be great. He's like, are you sure? I don't know. I think at that time, he also knew shit was going to go down. Like It was not good. So then I think it was like a few months after I started getting onboarded into this other role. And man, it was like a downward spiral after that. It was like the universe saying, all right, well, you asked for it. And I was put into these scenarios where I had to drive multiple hours a day. I had to be on, even more on than when when before, where I had to be on for the physician and learn how to sell devices and things like that. And it was really taxing. It got to the point where my body started to break down. It was, it got to the point where I just, I couldn't exercise. I didn't have time to spend with my loved ones. It was just really, really hard. And I think that's what really pushed me out because it was this job or my life. You know what I'm saying? The universe kind of put two options in front of me. It was like, okay, well, you can continue to do this. Or you're going to lose all the people that you love. You're going to lose your mental health, your physical health, all of this stuff. When you look at it, it's like there's no fair exchange. You know, there's right. what are you trying to sacrifice? And it was almost like towards the end of the year in, in 2021, I was having panic attacks. And I remember one day where I just, I, I, I've had it. I had it. Our conversations also changed. I think during this time where it was clear you were not in a good place mentally, this job was really taking a toll on you. But I sensed always that there was this pressure to, but I can't quit. Like, I have to stay. Like, in a way that that wasn't an option. It didn't seem like an option. We've talked a lot about this, the way we were raised and the cultural expectations and what it means to be successful in life. All those things affect you so that you can't almost think clearly. You ignore what you desire because you're trying to please family or keep up with what the expectations are. But I recall you telling me about a specific moment with a colleague. Oh, yeah. And a conversation. And I feel like I really want you to touch on that. Yeah. Even before I talk about that, the thing that you say about having the family expectation and all of that, growing up South Asian, it was like, you need to achieve. If you got 99% on an exam, where's the 1%? What happened? I would have these conversations with my parents and it was constantly, you know, you would constantly have to prove yourself. Oh, I, I can do this. I can do this. I didn't get into medical school, but I can prove that I can do well as an engineer. I can prove that I can get into the best program at j I can prove it was all about, I should be doing this. I have to do this. I need to do this. And I think that that was something that holds a lot of people with immigrant families back because they feel like they need to keep making their family proud in the traditional sense of what's secure, what is perceived as secure, getting a job, having a 401k, and just moving up the corporate ladder. And for a long time, I really wanted that to be who I was. And there was a moment where my parents saw that in me, where they were like, yeah, you're, this is a lot. So they were on my side when I decided to break up, up break up, to... Um, well, break up with your job. <laughs> break up with my job. Yeah, exactly. I'm not going to cut that out. Um, <laughs> you shouldn't. <laughs> to, break up, to break up. Yeah, to break up with my job. Because it is a relationship. It is. You spend more time at work. That's the relationship you're in. 90% of the time it feels like sometimes, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it didn't come until later on where, you know, because I quit in 
end of 2021, where it was like six months later and like eight months later, where my family started to ask, when are you going to get a job? What's happening now? What are you going to do? So yeah, lots of guilt and shame and all of these things that you need to get over when you're brought up in an environment where it's like achievement is is how you are valued, what you're worth. But the moment that you're talking about, I did have a moment with one of my colleagues. She was one of the people on my team and she was probably one of the most supportive and empathetic and just amazing people on my team. And she was a couple levels above me. And she was the one person who really heard me when I said, I'm not feeling well. I feel like I'm driving too much. I feel like I'm starting to have like panic attacks. I'm starting to feel depression and all of these things. And I remember there was a case that I had to do out in, in the Lehigh Valley region in Pennsylvania. And I was there with another colleague and then her and after we finished the case, I remember we went back to our car and I was, I locked my keys in the car and I was like, oh my God, like, what am I going to do? And she was there and she was like, okay, like, let's just call. I don't remember what it was. It was like a J&J because it was a corporate car that I had. So I had a number to call if this ever happened. So I called them. They were like, we're not going to be there for like another 45 minutes. So I was like, oh, what do I do? So she actually waited around with me. It was really, really hot that day. It was, I think it was like in June. And we went to sit under a tree. We were just talking. And I remember telling her, I was like, you know, I'm having a really hard time. I'm somebody that I feel like sometimes I don't show it when I'm in the situation, like when I'm at work, like I don't show people like I'm having a hard time. But when there's somebody that I feel like I can't open up to and that I can't trust, that's that's when that's when the truth comes out. And so I told her, I said, I'm really feeling really depressed. I'm not having it. It's just, it's really hard. And I told her I was thinking about leaving. And uh, she said, okay, well, why don't you? Why don't you put in your two weeks notice? It's so funny because a lot of times, you know, your colleagues at work would be like, no, don't go. What are you doing? She was like, well, why don't you? What's holding you back? And I said, I don't have the guts. I don't have the guts to do it right now. Oh my gosh. She was like, well, would you be able to hold yourself over for another year? Maybe even more? I said, yeah, I have that savings. So then why don't you? I'm like, oh my gosh. That was something that really stuck with me for a really long time after the situation, after that conversation, because it kind of like kept going in my head. Like, why don't you? Why don't you? Like, what's going on? Why do I feel so stuck? And it made you reflect on the why you were doing what you were doing, why you pursued the career in engineering, you know, why the the prestige of J&J, all of that. I think you started questioning your motive for doing what you were doing. Mm-hmm. And authenticity has always been huge for you. When I think of who you are, authentic, that's like the top of mind for me, amongst a ton of other things, of course. But like, you're a very authentic person. And I feel like when you are not being true to yourself, it takes a toll on you. And I think that's what started happening. Yeah, you weren't living an authentic life, really, from a career perspective, I should say. Right. And I wanted to say that when I thought about my career, and when I was there, when I was there at that last job, I kept thinking, where do I go from here? What's my next move? And in a lot of corporate environments, you have, okay, you have to be an engineer, then you have to be a senior engineer, then you have to be a staff engineer. There's like a set path for each track. Mm -hmm. And I didn't see that for myself. I didn't see that. I was like, what am I doing? Like, (laughs) what is the next path for me? And I remember thinking, I was always like, very passionate about global health. And I remember speaking with my bosses and being like, you know, I would love to work in the global health space. And they would say, okay, well, you have to do five years in this role, then you have to do three years in that role, and then you have to do four years in that, then you'll get to your destination or whatever. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll be 45 by that time. Why? <laughs> like, that doesn't make any sense. And I remember there was a time when I actually believed it. I believed what they were saying. And I remember having a conversation with my boyfriend at the time where I told him, I was like, okay, well, I have to stay here for another two years, then I have to do that, and then I have to do that. And he's like, no, like why? Why can't you just do it now? And then I I start to rationalize. Oh, well, I need to have this background and I have to have this knowledge and I have to do this and I have to learn about this. And that's why it's going to take so long. 
So I was like gaslighting myself. I was like brainwashing myself into believing that I had to do that. That's the thing. Like the whole theme of what I was before was I have to do this. I should do that. I need to do that. Whereas now it's like completely changed where it's like, I want to do this. I would like to do that. It would be great to do instead of putting myself into this box of like what they call it, the matrix. When you're in the matrix, it's like you have to work a nine to five. You have to do this. You have to do that. Like the pain your dues almost to yes, get to where you want. Exactly. And that's the thing. It's like you're hazed. Basically, you're hazed for so long <laughs> until you get to where you want to be. And it's like we're not in a sorority here. We're not in a fraternity. Mm-hmm. Like we don't need to do that. But so much of the world is still in that mentality. And sadly, people get there, right? To their quote unquote final destination. And it's not what they thought it would be. No, exactly. It's just so sad. Mm -hmm. For sure. I think what I want, what I want to touch back on is the moment you had this conversation, leaving became like a reality. You then make that choice. Mm -hmm. Touch a little bit on what that was like when you left and what have you discovered during this time off since leaving? What's that journey been like for you? And how it's led you to to now global health pursuit. Yeah. I remember the last day when I decided, like I actually decided that I was going to leave. I remember one of my colleagues telling me that the next day I'd have to like drive three hours to get to the children's hospital to assist on an ablation procedure. And I just started to have a really bad panic attack. I was just like, I don't know. Like my heart was beating really fast. I remember I was in the car. I was driving back home after picking up groceries because that was one of the days, one of my godsend days where I didn't have to go into work. And I remember texting my therapist and saying, are you free like now? Because I need to talk right now. I remember I get on a phone call, like a Zoom with her and I said, I think I need to quit. And she she was like, okay, how are you going to do it? So then the next day I got on a call with my boss. And it's interesting because people don't really ever teach you how to quit. Why would they do that? And I remember dancing around that word because quit. Can you imagine like telling your boss, I quit? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you were really, really, I mean, I was pretty done too. But at the same time, it's always like, I don't want to burn a bridge thing. Oh, yes. But I danced around and I said, I, I'm really feeling really terrible. Like, I don't feel like I can do this. I don't think I can do this anymore. And so he asked me, do you want to take a quick vacation? And I'm like, I don't think a vacation will do anything. <laughs> I'm like, I don't think this is going to work. And then he finally got the gist and was like, okay, you by the end of the December. I put it in my two weeks notice, like in December. So my last day would be like the last day of December. And I remember the last day of December coming around and you're watching the ball drop on the TV and it drops. And I was like, oh my God, I'm not working anymore. What's happening? Like, it's it's almost like you step into an alternate reality. Like, I was <laughs> like, whoa, where am I? I'm floating around. And that's what I felt like. I was like, okay, I'm going to do whatever the heck I want to do now. And I remember (laughs) staying in bed for like days because I'm like, I'm so tired. I just want to sleep all day and watching Netflix and reading and just really just like vegging out, like really. And I remember it was two weeks of just vegging out. The switch clicked in me where I was like, I told my boyfriend, I was like, okay, now I have to figure it out. And He said, it's only been two weeks. Can you just please chill? You just went through a very, very long burnout period. You need to relax. I'm like, well, like I really need to figure it out, you know? And this is my old programming coming into place where I was so programmed to always just move on to the next step. What's the next best thing? What's the next best thing? And now that I didn't have a plan or a goal to get to, I was like, what do I do? And I remember, Kat, I told you very for so long, I was like, I'm just going to get a job as a barista. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. I'm just going to go and get a job as a barista. And no offense to any baristas out there. I love what you do because, like, I love my coffee. But, like, even that I couldn't do. Even that I was like, I can't just fill my time with anything. And it took a really long time. I feel 2022 was 
a year of healing and going inwards. I remember spending days where I would just journal and meditate and do yoga and just think about what what is going on? What is the universe trying to tell me? Mm-hmm. And I remember hiring coaches like so I have my career coach, got a therapist, and I think it's it's been a really really honestly beautiful journey because I don't think a lot of people allow themselves to really reflect on what they've actually done mm-hmm. and what they've accomplished. And if if you're not happy, what I had to do was really ask myself, okay, what was making me so unhappy? Like, how do I change my thought process to move in a direction that could make me happier? And a lot of it was being in nature, you know, talking to my friends, hanging out with my dog. And in my mind, like my old programming was like, that's not going to make you money. Also felt like you were on a pursuit for stillness mental stillness but that was so difficult initially it's so difficult yeah like the hamster wheel thing go 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 it's so hard to just take the time to deprogram yeah cut the wires cut the cords Mm -hmm. i've done a lot of cord cutting exercises (laughs) where it's just all of the the shoulds and the have tos and all of that like just cutting all of that And really, a lot of it is just having faith in yourself. I knew that I was capable, but there was a part of me that was, it's almost like the angel and the devil on your, on your shoulders, where it's like the angel's like, you're going to do this. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be great. And the devil is like, how are you going to make money? You can't just do this forever. What's going on? And so it was like this battle within my head that was like, I have faith, but then no, I have to make money. Like I have to have a timeline. I have to do this. Not to mention the pressure you were getting from your family too. We talked a lot about that also. Yeah. And I'm not like blaming them for anything because it's like, yeah, of course they have my best interest in mind and I love them to death. Obviously, like all I want to do is make them proud, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like, I need to make them proud in my way, on my terms. And it might take a little time before people are okay with that. I really had to work a lot on this with my coaches because a lot of it was trying to protect people from negativity, from other people saying, oh, what is she doing? She should know better. She should. I was trying to protect my family from all of this backlash that we could have, people would be getting. But all I had to do was really just look inwards and just kind of get rid of the noise. And I'm still working on that. You know, I'm still working on silencing the noise, the doubts and all of the fears. Like there's so much fear that people feel from quitting, from from doing this. It's, it's, a lot of it is just like a, an illusion of security. Kat, you went through this whole thing where J&J just laid off so many people. There's an illusion of security in the corporate world. And so... It's just, it's just very difficult. I I just tell a lot of people it's been such a roller coaster, but really what's been making me feel grounded was, first of all, I have a lot of support around me. I have that privilege. I have a lot of support around me. Then I also have a lot of faith within myself that things will be okay. And that's all I have to say. Like, it's just like, you know, just keep the faith. That's what I've been telling my coaches. Like, I just got to keep the faith. Hey there. I hope you're enjoying this episode. I'd like to thank the sponsor of today's episode, aka me. I know this is very different from the usual ads you might hear on podcasts, but hey, a girl's gotta rep herself in this crazy world because if I don't, who will? Look, it wasn't easy leaving a stable and secure corporate job at one of the biggest healthcare companies out there. I went through burnout, depression, and so much healing, but I see the light at the end of the tunnel. And with your help, I know I can get there. All I ask of you is to do one or more of these three things. A, click the support this podcast link in the description to donate a few dollars one time or monthly if you feel so inclined. B, write a review on Apple Podcasts and or rate me on Spotify to give me a boost in the algorithm. Or C, share this episode with someone who would love this episode just as much as you do. I truly and deeply appreciate you. Let's get back to the episode. And I think you said something earlier, like I have to make my family proud in my way, but I I also feel 
it was you came to this realization that you have to make yourself proud. It's not about making them proud, but yourself and doing it for you. How do you take care of yourself? Because you can't take care of others or think of others until you address what's going on in in your heart, you know, and in your mind and figuring things out for yourself. Yeah. And that's a big thing because I think that when I was in my last job, I wasn't taking care of myself. I wasn't, I was a really mean person because I was not happy. I was depressed. I was being worked really hard. I would come home really late and I would just be very mean. And I realized that after the fact, because that's not me. Like that's, that's not who I am. And it's a situation that's putting me in this, that's putting this pressure on me. And all I kept thinking about was, oh, where do I have to go tomorrow? How many hours of sleep can I get tonight? What am I going to have to do for dinner? It was all very taxing. It was so taxing. Yeah. I'm like, what's the word? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, in staying in hotels, all of it. I, I racked up titanium status at my Marriott, <laughs> which was the great. Benefit. I know, I know. I was like, yeah, like now we can go on vacation, free hotels. Like, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I know. That was the only benefit. Mm-hmm. So switching gears a little here, I want to talk about global health pursuit. How did your passion for global health start? When did that start? I know you've mentioned before that it started with your family. So can you can you talk us through that? Yeah, I mean, my parents are immigrants from India. They came over in the 1980s and they had a completely different life in India. And you don't really start to appreciate that until you're older and start to understand why they were the way that they were, all the pressures for doing well in school, education was a huge thing for them, where my grandfather was, he was very different in the, in the sense that he made all of my aunts, my moms and my mom and her sisters go to school. In other communities, it would be just find a husband and be a housewife or whatever. No, like he was like, you need to get an education because who knows what will happen and you can stand up on your own feet. And so that's what happened. My mom became a microbiologist. She was working in a hospital in, in India. And then she met my dad, which was it was an arranged marriage. But at the same time, knowing my mom, like she had to have a say in it. <laughs> <laughs> my dad was a dentist. And then I think at the time my dad was in the US and my family members were like, we found a girl for you. So he came to India and met her. And then they basically... We're like, okay, we like each other. Let's get married. And then a few years later, my mom came to the States. And it's just uh, interesting because I didn't go back to India and realize that I was in India until I was 14 years old. That was like the first time that my family and I like really went back and did some sightseeing and all of that. And that was the first time that I really, I saw what real poverty looked like. Poverty and corruption, like all the things. Because I remember we... Flew into Mumbai and then we had to drive to Gujarat and it was, you'd be driving on the highway and alongside the highway, there'd be people in little tents living on the side of the road. And in my head, I was like, what is happening? This is, this is crazy. And then like the corruption factor where like there was police officers who basically pulled us over because we had a Gujarat license plate wanted money to let us go and I was like what like this would never happen in the states this is crazy we got back and we got to our house and no washer dryer there was no like indoor staircase we had to go outside to go upstairs you had to use a water geezer to heat the water if you wanted to take a shower basically you'd heat the water and then you'd pour it into a bucket and then you just Mm -hmm. shower yourself with that we were lucky to have like a real toilet in the house. But yeah, that was middle class India. It hit me back then. I was like, okay, this is interesting. And then I didn't really do anything with that until 2015, I want to say when I decided to go on a service trip to India. And at that time, I didn't really know about what's a good organization to go have a service trip with and what's a good charity and 
I just wanted to go and do some type of good. And I always thought like if I was going to go back and do a service trip, the first place I'd go to is India. And so that's what I did. I went with a organization. I'm not going to name their name. Um, and I stayed with a host family and I worked in the slum schools of India. And I basically helped teach English and hung out with the kids. And it was a really good experience. But at the same time, after the fact, I started to ask questions around, okay, well, what, what good did we actually do? Like, what, did, what, what did I actually do? Mm-hmm. Was this just a trip to like hang out with kids? Or was I actually making a difference? What was the outcome of this? There was no real sense of Here's like in an engineering mindset, it's like, here's an input, there's an output, Mm -hmm. what you put in, and then how do you get out? What I put in, I didn't know what I got out. Or what the kids got out better yet, you know? Exactly. That's what it is. When I went to help teach English or whatever, did they actually learn a little better? Or was I just there to just keep them company? The experience was interesting also because it was more of like a, a discovery trip for me. A discovery trip in terms of, okay, this is what a slum school could look like. This is what people in poverty's homes look like. Little like mud houses in one room. And I remember one of the kids bringing me to their home. And it was like, Hethel ma'am, Hethel ma'am, come to my house. You know, it was very, very cute. So I said, okay. So then we went and I had some chai in their house. It was so small. And I was able to really see for myself how these people live. And after that, I was like, I don't think I can come back with this organization, not because it was hard to experience it, but because I couldn't work with an organization where I didn't know what my actual output. The benefit to society, what was it? Exactly. What was the benefit? Was it because I was giving them money so that I could go on a volunteerism trip? And this is something that we're going to talk about in a later episode. But volunteerism and poverty porn and all of that stuff is a very, very interesting thing where people are kind of coerced into giving charities money because of these images. It's like you feel so bad. It's guilting people into giving money and all of that. Mm -hmm. I was very much put off with the marketing and the branding behind things. You know, after the fact, I, I started doing a little more research. I wanted to learn more about what different charities were doing, what different nonprofits were doing. And I started going on trips with a organization called Humanity and Hope United to Honduras. And they have a great holistic program. And it was very different because you were able to see, okay, these are the specific programs and these were the outputs and the benefits, right? Your money was going into this type of school. Okay, now we got these many graduates. Mm-hmm. I think it was this year that there were like two two graduates from high school and they're going to college or something like that. I don't know, but it was... Don't quote me on this. It's just, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know the details, but I remember there was a huge celebration because kids were graduating from school when they wouldn't have been able to. And I think that those kind of experiences started to started to give me insight onto what is a good ethical organization that will use your money to the benefit of communities as well as show them in a light that is dignifying. And that's what happened. This was back in 2020 when I started to explore. And I remember I started to write a blog. I started to interview people. And I remember one interview, I said, it was the first one where I was like over Zoom. And I said, oh, maybe I'll write this into a blog. And then after a few months, like the interview was sitting in my computer. And I said, I should start a podcast. Why shouldn't I? Let me just start a podcast. And that was where Global Health Pursuit came about. Because in the beginning, it was like, oh, I don't know. Like, I didn't know anything about podcasts back then. And yeah, that's basically how it started. And I I started reaching out to people. I started learning more about water equity and poverty alleviation and women's health issues and all of these things. And I was like, there's a whole world out there. I just loved hearing people's stories and then just also giving them a platform where people, other people could learn and connect with them. Cause that's all I find myself to be a connector. I love it when I can say, I know this person who could really help you. Let me connect you. And then all of a sudden they're working together. 
How awesome is that? It just makes me so happy. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And especially when you know that it's going towards something good for, for communities in need. That's where Global Health Pursuit started. And then I, at that time, I was in the mindset that I had to do everything myself. And I was also working. Mm-hmm. And then, like I said before, I got really burnt out. Then I basically stopped doing everything. I stopped the podcast. I stopped working. I really didn't know where I was going with anything. And through working with my career coach, we came to the conclusion that I just really loved my podcast. I really loved uplifting other people. And I just loved learning about global health. And she was like, you need to do that again. And I looked back and I I said, ugh, I lost all my old episodes. It's not hosted on Buzzsprout anymore. I felt a lot of guilt and shame around that too, because in my mind, I was like, well, maybe that's a sign that I'm not supposed to be doing this. And... There was a time last year, it was like late last year, where I have this poster up on my wall that says Global Health Pursuit. And it was like started May 2020. And I remember it was on my wall and I was sitting here in my in my office and all of a sudden it falls. And I'm like, oh no, that's a bad omen. <laughs> like that's, that's a bad omen. And I tell my coach this and she's like, girl, it's just trying to tell you to pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. Pay attention to global health pursuit. I'm like, oh my gosh. Well, that means I have to I have to relaunch. I have to do this all over again. And she's like, don't think about it as you're doing it all over again. You're starting a new chapter. It's funny. I wanted to mention this. Brene Brown talks about this. She refers to somebody else who talks about this concept of a shitty first draft. And... <laughs> She says that every creator, entrepreneur, person who wants to create their own business or whatever, always speaks of a shitty first draft. And that podcast back in 2020 was my shitty first draft. It wasn't shitty by any means, but it was my first draft. That's the time when I literally didn't know anything about podcasts. I didn't know podcast managers existed. I didn't know marketing strategies about all this stuff. I didn't know like how to get sponsorships, which I'm still working on, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you want to sponsor this podcast, please <laughs> contact me. I would love to work with you. Anyways, <laughs> I had to plug myself. A little plug, a little plug. <laughs> a little, little plug. You have to. Yeah. And that's basically what it was. It was... It was my first draft. And so now I'm wiping the slate clean and starting it over and really getting strategic and intentional with all of the people that I'm bringing on and the questions I'm asking them and really diving deep into different global health issues. Like the things that I talked about today, oh my gosh, South Asian mental health, burnout, how to heal yourself, becoming a change maker. That was my shitty first draft. Simon Sinek also says this. He goes, the third pancake is always the best pancake. This is going to be the third pancake. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I want to also say, though, that I think your mentality going into the GHP relaunch is different because before, since you were doing this with your job, you know, you were working on GHP alongside your job. You were, first of all, didn't really have the time to dedicate to it that you, I'm sure, wanted to. But also, I think you had this mindset even after quitting of this laundry list of items that I have to do. And oh my gosh, if I don't do everything, then I'm a failure. Mm. Whereas now, and we've recently discussed this, that your attitude has been, if I do with this one thing and that's all I get done, then it is what it is and that's okay. Yeah, And I think that's huge. And that's been, I'd like to say, I've seen a, a shift in you and you're having a lot of grace with yourself with this relaunch, which is why I also think it's been more successful, like this path that you're taking. Yeah, I think that when I was first starting out, it was hard because I was still exhausted. I didn't really know what it was. I wanted to take this podcast, like the direction of it. And that's what I told myself. I said, if I just do one thing today, that's going to be okay. If I reach out to one person, if I do this one email, if I create this one post, If that's all I can do, that's fine. There's no pressure. And what's so interesting is that with that one thing a day, and of course there were days where I would do a little bit more, I was able to 
Well, at this point, I've recorded seven episodes with people. I have another one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine episodes scheduled. I think there's more than that. I've hired a podcast manager for my launch. I have so many people on my side and it feels different this time around. And I'm really excited. This is going to be a really great podcast because where do you find a a global health podcast that is super fun to listen to, that is really informative, that is just candid. It's not listening to a professor talk for two hours. Nobody wants to listen to that. (laughs) You know, it's funny. I was talking to a medical student yesterday and she goes, I was talking to her about the podcast and I was like, nobody wants to talk to a professor unless you're in the subject or unless you're studying that. And she's like, even then, <laughs> even then, I'm a med student. I don't like half my professors talking. <laughs> and that's that's what I want to do. I also think you make things very digestible for the common average folk that doesn't know about this. I'm looking forward to that as well and listening to your podcast. I mean, even the episodes before, prior to this relaunch, I always felt like, oh, this is it's so easy for me to understand versus, yeah, when you get someone that's maybe too focused in an area, they may start talking about things that like go way over people's heads. And so I love just how casual the conversations are that you have with your guests. You make it so easy to listen to and engaging at the same time. Yeah. I I mean, I don't have a global health master's or doctorate. Like even if I wanted to make it super technical, I couldn't, I wouldn't have been able to do that. And so that I think that's the best way to do things where it's like, tell me about, for example, one of the first interviews I did was Dr. Cassandra Esperant. She's a pharmacist who works in HIV and AIDS, does a lot of awareness around in the black community. And her title is PrEP and HIV pharmacist. I was like, Cassandra or Cassie, what the heck is PrEP? Because the thing is, I don't know. Yeah, I definitely don't. I've never heard of that. Yeah. (laughs) So, but it's so important. So the thing is, you can't brush over that kind of information. Like, even if it feels like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to feel stupid asking this. No, there's so much that you can learn just by asking just very simple questions. And I think that's what I want this podcast to be about. Like, I just want to ask really simple questions. There was another interview I did that Lumbi Malambo, she works in water equity within Zimbabwe. And there was a part, like I was doing some research on her and she hires geologists to study the rocks in some areas. I'm like, what do rocks have to do with water? There's a whole thing behind that. There's a huge reason. But people who don't have that background, they wouldn't know. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't know. Yeah. I was like, what? Like, okay. So interesting. For sure. You're asking those questions that people might feel silly asking, but who cares? You know, you're, that's the whole point. You know, you want everyone to to get an understanding of these important topics and not feel you're kind of giving a voice for those of us who may not feel brave enough to ask some of these things you know I'm excited I'm so excited about your relaunch I know you are too so tell me specifically you know what are you excited about with with this relaunch of global health pursuit what do you hope to accomplish this time this time around oh that's yeah. a really good question this time around I really want to be able to elevate these people even more than I did before. Try to really get out to a bigger audience and create a community around this topic. It's interesting for me because I want to be able to build a community of people who are just passionate about global health in in the beginner's mindset. People who are looking for causes to donate their money to, maybe causes to volunteer for, maybe even join the team. And I want I want to be able to be that platform because this is really not even about me. I am just the conduit for people to get in front of more people. Because a lot of times when you when somebody listens to a podcast, all you need is one person. It could be a huge donor, it could be somebody who has a lot of knowledge in that specific area, it could be somebody who just want who has a background in that country that they want to work in or whatever. And I just want to be able to create a network of those people and a network where people can ask each other questions. And I would love in the future to have a conference and really invite people from the podcast 
to do like a hackathon. These are the problems. Let's get together. Let's try to problem solve. Let's figure things out. Get some ideas. Bring some speakers on and talk about what their latest innovations or accomplishments were. It's just, I think that this is like a really beautiful start to something that's going to be amazing. I, I'm really, really excited about this because I'm giving this my all this time. It's different because I don't have a nine to five. I wake up and I'm excited to figure out who will be my next interview or get ready for my next interview or outreach or just learn about what else is out there. And I I hope that people, when they listen to this podcast, they can hear that in my voice, that this is something that I am dedicating myself to. It's not just a hobby. This is what I want to do. And it's scary to say that. I'm going to say it's it's really, really scary to say that because in your mind, you want to, you want to, like the devil wants to say, well, what if it's not going to work out? But just like, okay, you can go sit in a corner. (laughs) I'm not listening to you today. I ain't listening to you. You know, someone recently said this to me, and I think um, it stuck with me. They said, it's okay to be scared because that also shows that you're passionate and that you care. And so I think you being scared, it just speaks to how you really want this to be successful. And I, I really wish people could see your face when you talk about because you you know, you're smiling, you're happy. It's your whole posture is different this time with this relaunch. And I'm really excited. I can't wait to hear the first couple of episodes that you've got prepared. The first episode's gonna be this one, just gonna Woo-hoo! say. <laughs> <laughs> I also just wanna say thank you so much for opening up for your willingness to be vulnerable with me, with your your audience, I think it's important for people to hear your story. It's, it's beautiful, your journey. I think a lot of folks can relate to it. And I hope that it also gives people the courage they need to take the next step towards pursuing something that they truly feel passionate about. Thank you for this. Thank you for this opportunity. I'm so excited. Thank you. I love you. I love you too. <laughs> <laughs> If you're still here, I want to thank you for giving me the space to be open and vulnerable about my journey. I want to thank Kat for gifting me a slice of her time and for always being there as the true friend she is. If you'd like to hear and learn more about my journey, you can head over to YouTube, type in my name, and subscribe to my channel. To get access to related resources and links, head on over to www.globalhealthpursuit.com forward slash show notes. And of course, do not forget to write me a review on Apple Podcasts and rate the podcast on Spotify. It helps me get in front of more people just like you. This episode was hosted and written by me, Hathal Baman, and was produced and edited by Anna Curran Howard. I'll see you in the next one.